Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is time for another episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. My name is Farzi Vasugi and appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to another episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. Got a great show for you guys uh, on this episode as we do our Chiefs game preview against the San Francisco 49ers. That'll be the Chiefs home opener this Sunday. Uh, crazy, crazy to say. First time uh, they'll have a home game. This season took a couple of weeks, but more importantly, it'll be the first home game for Patrick Mahomes. He's had three career games in the regular season, one last week, or last year rather, in week 17, and then the two games this year, he has yet to play at home, this uh, or in his career rather. So we're going to see that for the first time, and man, I, I think this is actually the best setup, given the, even though it wasn't a home opener in week one or week two, seeing what has transpired on the field I think that just gives Chiefs fans an even bigger reason uh, to look forward to this game the anticipation is so high right now for this home opener probably the the biggest highly most anticipated home opener in franchise history that I can really think of I know that Eric Berry's return that was a big deal a lot of people were excited for that but man I mean this is a position the, the quarterback position people have been waiting for for a long, long time, and Chiefs fans are going to erupt as soon as he throws that first touchdown pass, and if he continues to go crazy like he has in the first two games, man, I mean, Arrowhead is going to be probably louder than 142.2 or whatever the decibel meter was against the Patriots a few years ago on Monday Night Football, but you know Arrowhead is going to be rocking this Sunday when the Chiefs and 49ers square off in Week 3. If you guys want to interact with me, do so in a couple of ways. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vasugian. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. We'll do a Facebook Live at halftime and after the game. Uh, so join me for that on Facebook. Again, Facebook.com slash Farzee Vasugian. Follow me on Twitter at Farzee21. You guys can also send me an email at, uh, excuse me, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. And if you guys haven't already, hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Google Play. Share it as well with your friends. Spread the word. Let your friends know about the Chiefs Zone podcast. Got an exciting show for you guys, as I mentioned earlier. Lots to talk about. We're going to get into Eric Berry, the latest news with him. What is going on with him? Is he expected to play this week? One former NFL quarterback, spoiler alert, Brett Favre, gave a lot of praise to Patrick Mahomes. And of course, we'll preview the game between the Chiefs and the 49ers. And for our closing segment, it's got some exciting topics here. One NFL team that's definitely exceeding my expectations. One quarterback who's also exceeded my expectations. Plus, I want to talk about Josh Gordon a little bit as well. And one double standard that one person in the media is showing. And I also want to talk about an athlete who had a very awkward altercation with a reporter. If you think... Bill Belichick and those press conferences where he he makes things very awkward with a with a reporter and a question that he doesn't like. If you think that's awkward, if you think when Donald Trump he goes off on on a reporter in one of his media briefings, if you think those incidents are awkward, one athlete out there took it to a completely another level, something I've never seen before, and I think that athlete was in the wrong for doing so I'll tell you who that athlete was and what they did and why they did it and why I think they were completely in the wrong about that want to get into all of that later on in the podcast but first things first I want to read you guys kind of an interesting stat here that the NFL revealed 
regarding the 2018 season. This is the most touchdowns in the first two weeks in NFL history. And to be exact, we've seen 174 touchdowns in 2018. The previous high was 2011 with 172. And the next highest was 2015. That was 2015 and 2012, excuse me, with 170. Now, of course, you're, you notice this is all fairly recent because offenses are so high powered in the passing games. Uh, are, are are more stronger than before, you're starting to see it more often. 2018, I've seen a lot of heavy passing, more more so than before. And there, there are several other stats out there that prove that, and I don't want to get into that too much, but the, the touchdowns right there, a lot of that is from Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, with the record-setting 10 touchdown passes in the first two weeks, uh, which, as I mentioned, NFL record passing Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and Charlie Johnson, but this is... Uh, this is just just really crazy to see with all the and Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's having a phenomenal season as well. As well, he was actually one touchdown behind the previous record for most touchdowns in a two week span to start off an NFL season. Uh, with he had he has eight so far. But man, it's just really crazy to see this uh, this stat right here. And you know, Patrick Mahomes has a big hand in that. And speaking of. Uh, Mahomes and Fitzpatrick. I want to read you guys something very interesting because I know a lot of Chiefs fans are concerned about the defense coming up here, and I and I've urged this to to some Chiefs fans who are focusing too much on the negative. Look, I'll gladly take a two and a record back to back on the road, and I I know I said this a lot last podcast, but I think it's still worth repeating. Go, doing so on the road in back to back games and putting up the numbers that you did, and I know defensively it it's been very ugly but it's not like the Chiefs are the only ones in this situation I'm going to read you something very interesting here here are the t- uh the top ranked NFL offenses in terms of yardage the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they're number one the Kansas City Chiefs are number six again I'll re- repeat that again most yards on offense Tampa Bay one KC six the highest scoring teams in the NFL the top two scoring teams belong to Kansas City and Tampa Bay, respectively, one and two. And to give you an idea, the Chiefs scoring, uh, it, they've scored 80 points so far this season. That is, as I just said, the most in the NFL. Most yards allowed on defense, Tampa Bay is 31st, Kansas City's 32nd. And the most points allowed by defenses so far this year, the Chiefs have allowed the fourth most points, and the Buccaneers have allowed the sixth most points. So essentially, the two best and worst offenses and defenses in the NFL from the first two weeks of the NFL season belong to Kansas City and Tampa Bay. So listen, you people are are going crazy about Kansas City's defense and how it could be. A liability to the team, and that's certainly a valid point that that's possible. But look, Kansas City's not the only one in this in this situation right now. I know a lot of people are comparing this this team to the teams that we saw during the Dick Vermeil era from 2001 to 2005, and I certainly think those are fair comparisons. But listen, as of right now, you're winning football games, and I think this defense does have a little bit more than what we saw from the Vermeil defenses. 
So I do expect improvement. And I said in the offseason, I'm one of the very few people who have said this, that I think this defense will improve as the season goes on. Uh, Definitely, I I was not expecting them to be 31st, dead last in the NFL in total defense. Uh, But that is the case right now. And man, thank goodness for Mahomes and the work that he has done because it has certainly helped the Chiefs to, at the very least, prevent a loss. And the points allowed and the yards allowed that we've seen so far, uh, so far hasn't hurt the Chiefs. And I will say one thing, because of the amount of points the Chiefs have put up, it has forced the Chargers and the Steelers to go pass heavy in the second half. The Steelers had a, an incredible game from Connor, and they didn't use him very much in week two because they fell behind so early, and they never played with the lead. Kansas City was always playing ahead or tied to the point where they had to abandon the running game, even though they saw a great game from Connor in week one. And they went past heavy with Roethlisberger more specifically 60 times through the air. If you have to throw the ball 60 times in a game, generally, and even though Roethlisberger led uh, all week two uh, players in passing, that generally means you lost. Yardage is a, is, a, is a very tricky stat to look at here. Just because someone threw for a bunch of yards in a, in a single game, does that mean they had a, a great game? I mean, look, it's not like Roethlisberger was terrible. No no interceptions in this game. Uh, there was the one from Steven Nelson, but it was overturned due to the holding uh, call there. But at the end of the day, uh, he didn't throw an interception, and he put up all these yards. Certainly not a bad game. Uh, I, look, numbers can lie sometimes. Roethlisberger will obviously take these stats personally, but... Uh, when you have to throw the ball that many times and you throw for that many yards, generally it means you were playing from behind and you had to basically abandon the run game and go pass heavy for for the rest of the game. And that's never a situation you want to be in. Same story for the uh, for the Chargers with Phillip Rivers. They had to let go of their running game because they needed to catch up to Kansas City. So I, I will say this, I, and again, I'm not I'm not in any means trying to sugarcoat Kansas City's defense. Uh, a 32nd worst strength defense is 32nd. Uh, they allowed all of those yards. But I think a lot of that is due to the Chargers and the Steelers having to forfeit the rushing game and focus so much uh, the, on the passing attack in order to try and catch up and try to beat Kansas City, which they were unable to do. So th- th- it looks, I- I'll even, and I- I'm not fully familiar with all of the NFL teams and their games specifically how they've gone, but I would make a case that given Ryan Fitzpatrick and the fact that he's second in the NFL on touchdown passes, he probably put up so many points to the point where Tampa Bay forced opposing teams to chuck up the ball rather than run it so much. And that's why they've allowed so many yards as well. Here's the most important thing. I, I think it was Al Michaels who said this. Just because you are 32nd in total defense doesn't mean that you're the worst defense. It just means you've given up the most amount of yards. Now again, a 32nd ranked defense could also be the worst defense uh, in terms of quality. And that's I, I don't think Kansas City's necessarily there. They're still, don't get me wrong, they're near the bottom of the league. There's a lot of room for improvement with this defense. They've had some highlights here and there, but uh, I, I don't think Kansas City's the worst defense as it shows with some of these statistics you see here. I think they're a little bit deceiving 
Uh, it is easy to look at that and say, wow, Kansas City is definitely going to get pummeled one day uh, by an opposing team, maybe a team like uh, like the Patriots coming up in the next couple of weeks. But I, I, at the end of the day, I, I think if Patrick Mahomes or the Chiefs offense uh, as a whole, if they didn't put up the uh, number of points that they have been able to put up, I don't think we would see Kansas City be ranked 32nd. I still think they'd be in the 20s. But I don't think they'd be dead last in that category. And I would say the same for Tampa Bay if their games offensively went differently. Let me know your thoughts on that. Facebook.com slash Farzine and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at Farzinevasugian.com. One other thing I want to mention here with Patrick Mahomes, uh, something very interesting. He's thrown 55 passes. And everyone obviously knows about the 10 touchdown passes, the record uh, breaker for the first two weeks of an NFL season. Mahomes has only thrown the ball 55 times. That's not a lot. 55 in two games. Roethlisberger threw 60 against the Chiefs in just one game. And he also had a, he, I mean, he played a game the week before where there was an overtime period. Now, granted, it was overtime, obviously a close game, a, a game that ended up being tied. So it's not like you had to go pass heavy. You could mix it up a little bit and include your running game. Uh, but Roethlisberger's played two games and, and in one of them, he's already surpassed Mahomes for pass attempts. Again, going back to what I was saying, that's a bad thing. But going back to Mahomes, I digress. His 55 pass attempts is 28th most in the NFL, which obviously puts him near the bottom of the league in that category. And he still has more touchdown passes than anyone in the NFL. And I want to get into Pat Mahomes a little bit later because, and by the way, I got to check myself on that because I, I, I learned, uh, Ian Eagle, or Ian Eagle rather, excuse me, uh, he mentioned that he spoke to Mahomes and he prefers to be called Patrick uh, because uh, his dad is Pat. I, I knew his dad was Pat Mahomes, but I didn't realize he didn't like to be called Pat and wanted to be called Patrick. So I have to check myself every time I say that. But Patrick Mahomes, 55 pass attempts, 28th in the NFL, and still has more touchdowns than anybody in the league. That means he has thrown a touchdown pass 18% of the time he is throwing. So nearly a fifth of his passes end up going to the end zone. You've all been asking for a big-name quarterback for a long time, and now we finally got it. And listen, I don't want to get too much into this uh, on this podcast, but this whole Mahomes, Trubisky, Deshaun Watson topic here... This is going to be discussed for a while here because everyone thought Deshaun Watson was the best QB and he was taken third among the uh, among the trio. Trubisky was taken second overall. By the way, all three teams who took these quarterbacks, the Chiefs, the Bears, and the Texans, they all traded up, uh, whether it was one spot or 17 spots, to get these quarterbacks. But here's the thing. And I think this is kind of a funny comparison because Alex Smith was once a Chief and he he he... Taught Mahomes a lot. But I think one day, this whole Trubisky-Mahomes look here, uh, you know how Aaron Rodgers gets compared to Alex Smith a lot because he was drafted 20 picks or 19 picks later and he has a Super Bowl ring whereas Alex Smith doesn't? I think this is going to be the similar situation here where Patrick Mahomes is going to be the Aaron Rodgers and Mitchell Trubisky is going to be the Alex Smith of that 2017 draft class. Because Trubisky, and I, I, I'm very confident that the Chiefs will get, this is the most confident I've ever, ever been 
that the Chiefs will get a, a Super Bowl with this quarterback here. Uh, I felt this way when Pioli and Haley came in here with Matt Castle, but we all know that didn't pan out very well. When Andy Reid got here, I, I, the idea of a Super Bowl, I think, crossed everyone's mind with Alex Smith, but nobody was fully confident that it would happen with him, whereas now, given what you've seen in two games with Mahomes, people don't think it's out of line to to think that a Super Bowl is a realistic possibility possibility with Mahomes if he continues to play at this level. I'll get into Mahomes a little bit later, and again, I, I want to get into this topic one day, just not on this episode, but this whole Mahomes-Trubisky-Watson uh, comparison, this is going to be discussed for a while, especially in Kansas City, Chicago, and Houston, because people are going to wonder, did Chicago make a mistake in passing up on Mahomes and Watson, guys who have done... Trubisky has seven touchdown passes. Mahomes had six last week. Oh, by the way, it was seven career touchdown passes. And by the way, here's one other final note I'll say on this. Trubisky's running a very similar offense to Mahomes right now. Because don't forget, Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator last year, so he has worked with Mahomes a little bit. Obviously, coached him in that Week 17 game against the Broncos. And sure, I'm sure Nagy's going to do his own thing, but he's also going to do a lot of what he learned from Andy Reid while being an assistant under him. So these two QBs are going to run a very similar offense uh, as long as they have the same head coaches, Trubisky with Nagy and Mahomes with Reed. So it's going to be interesting to see how these two quarterbacks operate with similar offenses, uh, different head coaches. Granted, they come from the same tree, I guess. Uh, but Mahomes so far is having the better success despite being taken eight picks later than Trubisky. Just keep that in the back of your minds because this is a topic I do want to come back to uh, sometime later during the season. And maybe we'll come back to it uh, more than once as the season goes along. I do want to get into this real quickly, and it's the Eric Berry situation. Listen, I, I've gotten I've gotten Facebook messages from you guys. I've, I've, I've gotten tweets. I've gotten emails about this. And I got this last year as well with Tom Bahali. Everyone is asking me, when is Eric Berry going to return? He's still dealing with a sore heel. And to give you an idea, he has not... Sometime last week uh, was the one-month mark where Eric Berry had not practiced. We have not seen Eric Berry play... For the Chiefs for more than one year now. He has not practiced for more than one month. I'm starting to think. There is something. Else other than a sore heel. Now. I try not to speculate so much on injuries. Because. The only. People who really know what's going on with. An injury is one the player. The team doctors. And if they need to go to. Someone outside of a team doctor, they probably have more familiarity with those injuries than any of us do, combined. With that said, I've never had a sore heel before. I've never had any serious injury before. I mean, I've had a a torn ACL and a torn meniscus, had surgery on that. But obviously, I'm not a pro athlete, and pro athletes, their timetable in returning is much higher than the average person. I've said this before on the podcast, uh, when people have surgery... And when they go through physical therapy and the the programs that they create for you and recovery process, those programs are designed for people who are who have absolutely no athletic ability. And whereas you know, a person like me, I mean, I played sports a little bit when I was younger. I I worked out consistently before the injury, so I was able to be a little bit ahead of the curve of that program that they gave me. 
pro athletes, they're always way ahead of their recovery processes than the normal person would be because they're physical creatures. They're, they're athletes, obviously. Now, with that said, the reason I bring all this up here is because a sore heel, I don't know what exactly a, a player goes through when they have a sore heel. What keeps them out of practice for one month? Now, when I hear something is sore, okay, maybe you need a little bit of time off, but if someone needs more than a month off for, for a, a sore injury, I do start wondering what exactly is going on. A lot of you guys have speculated that Eric Berry could be retiring or that he could be out for the season and maybe the Chiefs are trying to keep Berry uh, you know, on the active roster just to at least throw opposing teams off or have them be on their toes. People believe in that stuff. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, the truth of the matter is, I have no idea what's going on with Eric Berry. My thought process on this, and this is really the first time I'm really speaking on this topic, I kind of wonder what exactly is going on. What's happening with a player if he's out for a month with a sore heel? I'm starting to think there could be something beyond something quote-unquote sore. And listen, I mean, injury reports... They're provided by the team. So we can only go by what they are giving us. I remember Jamal Charles, when he re-injured his, uh, his knee, there were, uh, he, he wrote on his website, there were a few reports out there as to what happened to his knee in the re-injury in 2016. And he mentioned there were a lot of false reports there. So and so far, I haven't seen a lot of people report into detail as to what's going on with Eric Berry's injury. What I'm here to tell you is, I don't know what's going on. I am very surprised. When he was not available for the Chargers game, there was a lot of optimism that he would return for Week 2 against the Steelers. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that yet. And here we are in Week 3. He didn't practice on Wednesday. And I'm guessing at this point he's going to... I guess he's going... He may not play this week. That's going to be my guess. Evan Washburn, the sideline reporter for the first two games for the Chiefs, uh, he, he's part of the uh, the team with uh, Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. He mentioned in the, uh, in the right before the Steelers game that Eric Berry is being held and the Chiefs are being cautious about this. And I understand that. But if, if someone has a sore injury that's kept them out of practice for more than a month, I have to question that. I, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm curious what exactly is going on with Eric Berry. There, this is not the same foot where he suffered that ruptured Achilles last year against the Patriots. It's not, it's, it's a, it's not the same one. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, uh, he, he could still be recovering from that and, and maybe has pain occasionally from time to time. Again, I don't know. I, I, I'm just throwing that out there. That could still be a possibility. Maybe it's, it's not even a, a thing. I don't know. But something tells me that there's uh, something more going on than a sore heel. A lot of you guys have speculated that he could be done for the year. I've seen a few people say that he's going to contemplate retirement. I have no idea where any of these speculations are coming from. But at this point, when someone's missed more than a month with a sore heel, I think people have a valid reason to... Have the speculations that they have. Now, this does lead to rumors and quote-unquote fake news that you see nowadays because of social media speculation. But it is very confusing. 
And I, I hope everything's okay with Eric Berry. They, the Chiefs definitely need him, but obviously they need him at a level where he can play. Maybe it's not going to be 100%. Listen, in December, no one in the NFL is 100%, unless it is someone coming back from a lengthy three-month suspension and their bodies are fresh and ready to go. But if you're playing the entire year, no one's 100% in December. But with an injury, you've got to be cautious, of course, as the Chiefs are reportedly, and you want to make sure you are coming back to full strength. I don't know why Eric Berry has not been able to return to full strength. I know you guys have a lot of thoughts on this. Facebook.com slash Farzimasugi and Twitter.com slash Farzimasugi 21. Let me know your thoughts on all of this. Because I know we've discussed this a lot and I, I'm, I'm keeping you guys updated every day what the reports are uh, with Barry. Uh, is he practicing? Is he not? So far, he hasn't, obviously. But man, uh, I, I don't know how bad a sore is. This is why I said earlier, I, I'm not a pro athlete. I've never had a sore heel before. But I, I kind of wonder, is a sore heel more serious than it sounds? Because I think a lot of us, when we heard about this in the preseason, we thought, okay, look, they'll keep him up for all the preseason games. He'll, he won't practice in training camp, but he'll be ready for week one. Well, here we are in week three, getting ready for the 49ers, and Eric Berry still has yet to practice. Not exactly sure when he's coming back. But if this is continuing, it may be a while. Maybe this is the final game he misses. Maybe he does play this week. I'm just keeping an open mind because anything is a possibility at this point. Uh, I mean, you would think by now with more than a month with, with a sore injury, he would recover by now. Uh, but it, I guess sore heels are more serious than a lot of us had probably anticipated. It's really all we can say about that for now. I want to switch gears and go back to Patrick Mahomes because Brett Favre, uh, who you guys probably have heard of before, he played for a long time with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, uh, briefly played with the New York Jets and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, illustrious career, obviously, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. By the way, he also played for the Falcons, but nobody remembers that. Uh, phenomenal career. Everyone knows about Brett Favre and everything he's accomplished uh, in in his years. And by the way, he, he, when he was talking about Brett, uh, Patrick Mahomes on his radio show on Sirius XM, he said Mahomes did something that took me 18 years to do, and that was throw six touchdowns in one game. Favre did it. With the New York Jets, oddly enough, he did it against the Arizona Cardinals, which at the time they were QB'd by Kurt Warner. So we go way back then. Uh, But gosh, uh, and that was in 2008, by the way. You you look at Mahomes and everything he's done here, and I think Brett Favre is the perfect person to really comment on Patrick Mahomes for two reasons. One, a lot of people compared Patrick Mahomes to Brett Favre. That was his draft comparison Coming out of Texas Tech. That was the uh, the draft analysis. The draft scouting report. Not only that, but Brett Favre has worked with Andy Reid in Green Bay. When Andy Reid was an assistant for several years. Before moving on to Philadelphia and eventually Kansas City. So Brett Favre knows what Andy Reid is all about. He knows what kind of a quarterback Patrick Mahomes is going to be. He was asked by Bruce Murray on his radio show about the fact that, you know, eventually Patrick Mahomes, there will be more game film on him. So eventually teams are going to pick up on some of his strengths and weaknesses and they're going to figure out how to stop him or maybe slow him down. 
Brett Favre responded to that, had a very interesting response. This is actually a couple minutes long, but it's absolutely worth hearing. Here's Brett's response to that. I think it's very overrated. Um, You know, I mean, Andy Reid is going to call plays like he's always called. And and I know you want to talk about that later, but what he's going to do is call plays that – that worked for Patrick Mahomes and his offense um, and, and, and plays when I think this is, this is the key to any success as a coordinator is you call or design plays or an offense or a defense based on the strengths and the weaknesses of your, of your group. So, you know, if you have a, you know, a, a, a team that can stretch the field and a quarterback who can throw it, then you call plays accordingly. Um, if you have a quarterback who can throw it 30 yards, and that's it, but is but is great from 30 and in. And I know I'm, I, you know, uh, this is you know an unrealistic unreal, example, but you would not call 50 yard routes. You know, you would not throw deep balls because the guy can't do it. But yet there are coordinators that do that. So Andy is going to put him in the best position to succeed based on his strengths and weaknesses and, and the guys around him. Um, and, you know, coordinators, when they, when they go in and they play Kansas City, you know, they just, they're not just stopping Mahomes. There's an entire cast that's pretty doggone good. And I think Mahomes' talent uh, is, is as good as anybody uh, in the league now and has ever, ever played the game. And um, – He's going to pose problems to coordinators that, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that they haven't faced before, but, you know, we're, the, the guys are creatures of habits. And, and, and I say the guys, the, the coordinators, and you, you, you kind of, you call your stuff and you expect the guys to, you know, to execute it to the best of their abilities. And I, I just think it's such an overrated statement, you know. I think the kid will get nothing but better. Now, does that mean he's going to throw eight touchdowns next week? I wish. More than likely not. You're absolutely right. He, there'll be some downtime. You know, he started so good that, you know, he can only go down to – and I don't mean that in a negative way. But you you just can't mass produce like that week in and week out. Um, I, I don't think. But, it, but that's not a knock against him at all. I think the guy um, – has played outstanding and he was drafted in the first round for a reason and, and they traded up for him because they they thought enough of him and i think he's just proven that uh they made the right decision those are some really strong words from a hall of fame quarterback and listen we we've seen former players speak out and and far he he's been doing this for a couple of years if i'm not mistaken doing this weekly radio show of his on sirius xm and, and there are a lot of former players great players who've Played the game at a high level, and they serve as analyst. I mean, we we see, uh, we see uh, Dan Marino, and, and I'll include coaches as well, Bill Cowher, so many guys uh, who who are uh, mic'd up, and and they they have to you know give an anal- an analysis. They have to uh, give their thoughts on certain players, especially young guys. But I've never heard a young player get this much praise from someone who had an illustrious playing career like I've seen Brett Favre give to Patrick Mahomes. And again, yeah, listen, 
I have to be fair here. I've always been the guy who said, listen, don't get too caught up just because of one person's predictions or one person's comments here. I know uh, if... um, if and I'll just I mentioned his name already, so I'll say it again. And he's a familiar face because he's on uh, CBS's NFL Today uh, every uh, every Sundays before uh, games kick off. But if Bill Cowher gave a preseason Super Bowl prediction and said the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl, every single Chiefs fan will start listing out his credentials and say, "Hey, look, this guy knows what he's talking about. We will take his prediction seriously more than anyone else's." So sure, it's easy to look at Brett Favre and say, "Man." This is a guy who obviously had a phenomenal career, and he's praising our, our quarterback. Let's let's take everything he says seriously because uh, he he he's one of the best quarterbacks out there. I, that's an easy thing to do. With that said, everything you are seeing happen so far, it sounds like Brett Favre saying anything that's out of line. Everyone's given Patrick Mahomes a lot of praise in in the two games, but Favre has given us kind of an, an inside look that. No one else has really provided yet so far. And all of this national praise we've been getting from, from Mahomes. Mahomes is one of the most talked about guys. I mean, other than the uh, the tied game between the Packers and the Vikings and that issue with Clay Matthews, as well as the Josh Gordon trade and uh, a couple of other stories here and there, Pat Mahomes, I did again, Patrick Mahomes, rather, he's dominated headlines from week two. This is one of the most talked about guys so far to start off the NFL season. And people wonder, you know, is there going to be pressure on this kid? Because uh, he, he he just turned 23 this week. By the way, imagine that. His birthday was on Monday. Uh, I mean, what if someone just walks up to him, doesn't, doesn't know who he is, says, hey, kid, happy birthday. How did you spend your last day as a 22-year-old? And Mahomes' response says, nothing, just, just Netflix and chilled uh, Sunday morning. And then in the afternoon, I just threw six touchdown passes against the Steelers. No big deal. That's how I spent my last day as a 22-year-old. Uh, but I mean, this is such a this guy's a young kid, obviously the youngest player uh, to to start at quarterback in franchise history. So you know that he's got if he can stay healthy. I mean, big knock on wood there, but everything else ahead of him, if he can have good coaches around him, if he can have all of these weapons to deal with, and listen, he's unless something goes terribly wrong, he has a lot of young guys around him, Kareem Hunt. Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, these are all very young football players. So if the Chiefs can make sure that they have these guys locked up for a very long time and keep Mahomes locked up as well, this is an offense that should produce at a very high level for years to come. And listen, uh, the Kansas City Royals, and I want to mention this real quickly here because, and I mentioned this story before, in 2014, during the Chiefs' regular season when they had that three-game losing streak, and this was shortly after Eric Berry had to leave the game uh, due to uh, his health issue. But I remember talking about the Chiefs uh, when I was co-hosting and producing a show. And the text line for 610 Sports Radio when I worked there, the text line blew up. People said, forget about the Chiefs. Talk about Royals offseason moves. Well, who could they bring in? This was right after the Royals lost Game 7 to the Giants in the World Series. This city was so damn high on baseball People forgot about the Chiefs. No one wanted to even... Royals off-season news, when there was even nothing to talk about with the Royals, when no news was happening, was a more popular topic than the Chiefs in the season. That's how big it was. And let me say this about the Royals real quickly. 
Because, and I don't know how it is for other cities, especially a city like Boston that's had a lot of sports championships. A city like L.A., Chicago, where you have a lot of teams, therefore championships will come and go occasionally. But in Kansas City, uh, I mean, the Royals winning a World Series in 2015 and also appearing in one the, the year before, that World Series fever, that, I mean, it was high in Kansas City. I mean, even if even if you ran into a Royals backup player, someone who didn't play much, people still wanted their picture or, or, or get their autograph because he was part of that World Series team. And you know, in 2016, obviously as reigning champions, fans were still high on the team. They, they still had some of their star power players. But as we've seen Hosmer, Mustakas, and Kane all leave, you're starting to see fewer and fewer injuries. This has been a very bad year for the Royals in terms of attendance. They just lost... Their 100th game Wednesday night against the Pirates. And I think this summer, that whole Royals fever, that that World Series championship excitement, that has now completely faded away. Any success that we saw with this baseball team, it's now, it it feels like it's completely in the rearview mirror. People still wear their championship gear and whatnot. I, I mean, I still see it in town, but... Now it's a big afterthought because of how bad the team is. And all their all-star players are gone. My point with that is, the timing of that could not be any perfect for a guy like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And listen, that's not to say the Chiefs and Royals are are competitors. Listen, I mean, they're obviously playing different sports. But at the same time, when I saw the attention just completely fade away from the Chiefs three, four, five years ago, I was in complete shock. I said, man, how could this even happen? This was a football town, and now that even even during the down years, like in 2012, people cared about this football team. No one cared about the Royals, especially this year when they're bad. And now, when you see the Royals lose 100 games like they have already this season, for the first time since 2006, and with Pat Mahomes picking up steam, this is a Chiefs football team now. That's going to have a lot of attention. Mahomes is going to be contacted by so many businesses in the area for local sponsorships, commercials, whatnot. And I don't—I mean, this is not obviously football related. This is probably something that people may not care about so much. But my point here is, this is now the perfect time for the Chiefs to get this guy out there and use him as their big promotional poster. Because look at New England. How much do you think Tom Brady is being used? For promotion. He's the easiest thing that you know the sales department over there can use to sell sponsorship ads, sell tickets and whatnot. Same thing for Peyton Manning when he played for the Colts and the Broncos. And now the Chiefs have that kind of player where you can use him for those kinds of things. And not only that, you will continue to see success from this guy on the field. And listen, he seems like a really good kid, so I don't think the pressure is going to ever get to him, and he's going to keep his head in the game. Uh, but man, uh, you just really hope that with all the praise that he's getting from national pundits and from former players like Brett Favre of all people, that you hope he continues to do this at a high level. And I think now, maybe he won't admit it, because let's be honest, who's going to admit that they are under pressure with all of the national exposure now? But he's got a lot of great people around him, from teammates on on the offensive side of the football to the coaching staff. And I think everyone's going to make sure that, hey, 
this kid's going to stay in check. We're going to make sure that this kid doesn't let this whole thing get to his head and he starts declining all of a sudden. And I don't think he'll even let that even get to that point himself. He's got to, He's doing that himself to make sure it doesn't happen. This is a very exciting time to be a Chiefs fan. And again, like I said, the only two things that could really ruin all of this, one is overconfidence and two is injury. And Mahomes never really dealt with a serious injury before. doesn't mean it can't happen. And two, I mean, this kid's never really had that overconfident uh, attitude about him. Although I think it's safe to say Andy Reid has that given what we saw last week and in past playoff games. And even in other games as well in the regular season. So hopefully the Chiefs are continuing to learn from their lessons. Because at some point they have to figure out their mistakes. Figure out why they've allowed comebacks to occur. Granted, a complete comeback didn't happen last week. But it sure could have happened. And uh, hopefully they they can erase those issues. Because you don't want to see that happen again with the potential that this team really has. You really don't. And hopefully they can continue to... Keep that dominance up and even provide a more balanced team this Sunday when they play the San Francisco 49ers. For those who are at the game, should be a good one here. No rain inside. I know there's a lot of rain uh, that's being predicted by meteorologists for the weekend, for Friday, maybe Saturday. And I've seen it removed from the forecast. I'm seeing rain for Monday, but it doesn't seem like there's much of that on Sunday. The most I have seen is 10% uh, from one of the media outlets, but... Seems like it's very low, so hopefully uh, everyone will be dry and everyone will witness the home debut of Patrick Mahomes, something that I think a lot of Chiefs fans have been waiting for a very long time to see a uh, a, a new quarterback, uh, a first-round pick coming in here to Arrowhead and putting up a show, and hopefully he can do that once again. Had four touchdowns in week one, six this past week. We'll see what he does. We'll get to San Francisco's defense in a moment and what Pat Mahomes can do against them. But let's start with the offense here because that's, of course, the more notable one with Jimmy Garoppolo being acquired midseason last year before the trade deadline. But did some good things last year for them. In five starts in the last five games of the season, the 49ers went 5-0 after starting 1-10. Their sole win came against the Giants just two weeks before Jimmy G started. And as far as his stat line went in those five games, six touchdowns, four picks, eight sacks, averaged 308 yards per game. Not the greatest stat line, but the team managed to rally around him in those five games, and they went undefeated under him. But to start off the season against the Vikings, we did see that undefeated streak snapped uh, in week one when they played the Vikings and uh, suffered a 24-16 loss on the road. Uh, Garoppolo in that game, one touchdown, three picks. And had 15 of 33 passing, not a good passing rate, 45% completion rate, and was sacked three times in this game. In week two, bit of a better performance from him in the 30-27 to win in the home opener uh, against Matt Patricia and the Lions. Two touchdowns, 18 of 26 passing, much better, close to a 70% completion percentage. However, he was sacked six times in this game Against the Lions. And listen, that Lions team, it, even though they're 0-2, they're going to be a good defensive team under Matt Patricia, who was a great defensive mind, uh, as he was with the New England Patriots. But so far to start off the season, 467 yards. He had 261 in the uh, in the loss uh, against the, uh, the Vikings. And he had 206 in the win. But he's been sacked a total of nine times in two games. And you look at the offensive line, 
for the 49ers. Not very good. Their best offensive lineman might be Mike McGlinchey. He's he's the highest rated offensive lineman on the team uh, from Pro Football Focus. But Pro Football Focus has all of these offensive linemen, all five of them rated very low among the players at their respective positions. Uh, the most notable name you might recognize, Joe Staley, uh, part of the uh, line, uh, left tackle for the team, played for the Browns for a while, was drafted by them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, but man, even even he's not having a good season to start off. This 49ers offensive line, not very good. And the nine sacks is a reflection of that for sure. Now, as far as the rushing attack goes, and by the way, I didn't mention this. They're 21st in total offense, 26th in passing, but they are third in the league in rushing. And Matt Breida deserves a lot of credit for that. By the way, the 49ers social media team referred to Matt Breida as the cheetah which is something uh, Tyreek Hill is known to be. So uh, I guess you're going to see two cheetahs in this game, but uh, surely only one can be the real cheetah. So we'll see uh, who, who that ends up being this Sunday between Brita and Hill. I, I'm surely it's going it's to be Hill. Uh, Brita's only had one good game, though. I, I, I think they're putting that label on him maybe a little too soon. Second-year player out of Georgia Southern. He had 138 yards in the win against the Lions. Uh, 11 runs. And as I said, 138 yards on the ground. He led the league in week two in rushing yards. And the 49ers are giving him that label because of that. The Chiefs run defense, listen, they've been bad for years. And even when a team is using a backup running back, that backup running back has found a way to have a field day against the Chiefs. And don't forget, the 49ers also do have Alfred Morris, a former Redskin, former Cowboy. And this is his first season with the Washington, or excuse me, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Now the Chiefs tie the Broncos sixth for most rushing yards allowed with 78 yards per game. If you look at the two games so far where the Chiefs have tried to stop the run in week one against the Chargers, they didn't have as big of a lead as they did in week two. So the Chargers were able to use the running game a little bit more. 22 runs for 122 yards. And a lot of those came in the first half. Uh, but the Steelers... Like I mentioned, they had to abandon that early. 13 carries for 33 yards. Despite James Conner leading the league in rushing yards to start the season off, they had to completely abandon that in this football game. So that's why you see the Chiefs ranked very high in stopping the run. And maybe with with a third-ranked rushing team, this is where they might struggle the most. So I can see Jimmy Garoppolo not being as active. Uh, as he has been so far, or at least he uh, like he was a little bit last week. Uh, but I do anticipate that the, the 49ers, they're going to be a run-first team. And with Kyle Shanahan, and I know he had a lot of issues in that in that Super Bowl against the Falcons where he abandoned the run and wanted to keep passing uh, despite having such a big lead. Uh, but hopefully he can focus on that because even though that Atlanta high-powered offense, one of the best scoring offenses in league history was no more so for passing. Uh, He deserves a lot of credit for this third-ranked rushing offense to start off the season for the 49ers. We're starting to see his offense come into place in his second year as a head coach, and having Alfred Morris and and Brima here, uh, two guys who have kind of taken turns in, in, in carrying the load on the ground, these are guys who are going to be active in this football game against the Chiefs. You're going to need both guys if you want to come into Arrowhead and pull off a win. So that's going to be one of the obvious key 
key plans for the 49ers and for the Chiefs. You've got to figure out how do you stop that. And I think Anthony Hitchens, he's got to have a big hand in that. Reggie Raglan, uh, these are two linebackers who did very well against the run last year. Hitchens second in the NFL in tackles. So you know he's always going to have a hand on a lot of plays and trying to limit running backs going for big gains. And Chris Jones... He's had somewhat of a, of a good season to start things off a little bit. Alan Bailey, haven't necessarily seen the same Alan Bailey like we saw in 2014 or 2015, but hopefully he can step up a little bit and provide some help in the uh, run-stopping department because you're going to need that in this football game because that is what the 49ers will rely on to try to beat Kansas City. Now, Kansas City secondary, especially if, it's, if they're going to be without Eric Berry again, you know it's going to be thin, and they're definitely going to want to try to use that passing attack if they can find a hole in Kansas City secondary, we've seen Roethlisberger and Rivers go out there and have an easy time throwing the football against the secondary. So who's to say, again, Garoppolo uh, can't do that. He should be able to uh, if they have the right game plan in place. Uh, and hopefully Kansas City's found a way to improve on that. And I, and I mentioned before, that pass rush needs to step up. They need D4. Who, who's had kind of a good season to start start things off? Justin Houston's been very quiet we haven't seen much of Breland Speaks yet. Uh, so you need, I mean, this is going to be a key time for Justin Houston to make some plays. And listen, I mentioned time of possession, and I think that the Chiefs could use their rushing attack on offense to maybe help that defense a little bit. But I think the defense could also help themselves too by forcing a lot of three and outs. And one important note to make, I actually forgot about this, against the Chargers and the Steelers, the Chiefs started on defense in both of those games to, to start things off. And the defense forced a three and out in both of those games to kick to kick off to kick off things in those two games. So that's the one thing to keep an eye on. Can this defense get off to a good start? And can they force some big plays with that pass rush on third down? Force Grappolo to throw it out of bounds or throw an ill-advised pass. Force that turnover or cause an incompletion, or even better, a sack, and bring up fourth down more often than so. That's something I want to see from this defense here. Because even though the offense, as I mentioned last episode, they can use their rushing attack to help, the defense needs to come along in their own as well and use that pass rush. Because you know you you have that capability. It's just you need these guys to play at their potential. And we haven't seen that on a consistent basis uh, from D Ford and recently from Justin Houston. So that's something Chiefs fans really want to see in this football game against the 49ers. Because if you can shut down the running game, and I know that's a big if, but if you can do that on first and second down and force them to throw on third and long, that puts pressure on Grappolo. And if the Chiefs try to hurry him out there, there's going to be even more pressure on him, and he'll be in a hurry to throw a pass that he may not want to chuck out there. So. That is going to be my key for the Chiefs defensively is have this pass rush go out there and pressure Jimmy Garoppolo all game long. You've got to do that. And I think with this home crowd at Arrowhead, you you have that on your side. And I think that's going to be a big factor as well, having that 12th man behind you. Because like I said, I think a lot of people are going to be excited for this game given the Mahomes factor and that this is going to be his first game at Arrowhead. And with everything he's accomplished so far on the road, uh, leading the Chiefs to that really exciting week one or week 17 win against the Broncos and what he's done these first two weeks, everyone's going to be excited to see him in person finally. And everyone's going to be excited and they're going to make some noise on defense because they're going to want to see the defense get off the field 
and see Mahomes out there as early as possible. But looking at the pass catchers for the 49ers, tight end George Kittle, the leading pass catcher with seven receptions and 112 yards, was more active in the loss against the Vikings, where he caught 90 yards off five passes. Dante Pettis, he has just three catches, but for 96 yards, obviously a very high average, and he can do a lot of damage with his feet. Very fast player, one of the punt returners for the 49ers. Casey needs to keep him in check, otherwise he could go off for a big game. He's got a touchdown for the 49ers. There are a couple of other players who are on the bottom of their depth charts for the 49ers who have uh, touchdowns as well, but Pettis is really the only noticeable one. Uh, Pierre Garçon, who a lot of people are familiar with, he has six grabs for 78 yards on the season. Uh, And like I mentioned, 49ers offensive line, not very good. And I think that could be a difference maker for Kansas City if they can put some pressure on Garoppolo, taking advantage of that weak offensive line for the 49ers. Defensively speaking for the 49ers, 23rd in total defense, 25th in stopping the pass, 19th in stopping the run. They are tied 20th in the league with the Patriots and the Seahawks and points surrendered 25 and a half points per game. And let's start with the secondary here because you know Pat Mahomes is going to pick on the, and I did it again, Patrick Mahomes uh, with Jakiski's Tart and Adrian Colbert, not very good safeties. And you look at some of the quarterbacks on this team, Akilah Witherspoon, eh, not not so good. Richard Sherman, everyone knows who Richard Sherman is. Uh, of course, had a great career with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he's done a good job so far to start things off. Has limited receivers, just not the dominant cornerback he once was. And I think quarterbacks have really shied away and have not thrown at his direction a whole lot since he's had some of his more prominent years. So we've seen less of Sherman because of that, but still does his job when needed. And you've got Kawan Williams, who's a good slot cornerback for the 49ers, but I think the Chiefs have way too much firepower for San Francisco to handle. It's going to be way too much, as we've seen with, with even a good defense, like uh, like the Steelers, when they had uh, more help. What they had on display compared to the Chargers in Week 1 with Legion and Bosa gone, the Steelers had a lot more, and, and the Chiefs had a better game offensively against that Steelers team. So they're going to need help from that front seven, and they've got a lot of players. One player coming back I'll get to later. Let's start with Fred Warner, who has 22 tackles, the third most in the NFL behind Anthony Hitchens, who's second in the league with 26 tackles. And then you got Darius Leonard of the Colts, who leads the league with 27 to start off. Warner also has a forced fumble, as does Elijah Lee, who's been filling in for Reuben Foster, former KC Eater, who is second on the team uh, in tackles. Up front on the defensive line, DeForest Buckner, has three and a half sacks already surpassing last year's total of three sacks despite playing in 16 games. His career high in a single season was from his rookie year, six sacks, and he's on pace to pass that as well. That's going to be a big test for Mitch Morse, uh, who's off to a great start and is one of the best centers in the NFL so far in 2018. Defensive tackle Eric Armstead and defensive end Solomon Thomas. Their average defensive lineman, not great, but not terrible either. But at the same time, this is nothing... Terrifying for Laurent Duvernay Tardif and Mitchell Schwartz. Nothing they can't handle. And so far, especially Schwartz in uh, LDT had a great game in Week One. Uh, th- these are two linemen who who on the right side of the Chiefs' offensive line. These guys should be able to keep the uh, other side of the defensive line, Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas. They should keep them in check for most of this game. Here's a guy who will definitely be shut down, Cassius Marsh. 
off to a very bad start in 2018. One of the worst defensive ends, according to Pro Football Focus. And I fully expect Eric Fisher to take care of him and shut him down and have another great game. Fisher, by the way, and I know it doesn't get talked about a whole lot with offensive linemen, but Eric Fisher is having a phenomenal 2018 season so far. Playing like a Pro Bowl left tackle. He really is. This is the number one overall quality type of Eric Fisher we are seeing right now from the Chiefs. And this is what you want to see on a consistent basis. And I think Eric Fisher is going to have another great game for the Chiefs. Now, I haven't mentioned this guy. Well, I mentioned him once. But Ruben Foster, taken 31st overall in last year's draft by the 49ers, was suspended the first two games for violating the league's personal conduct policy, stemming from a weapons offense and a misdemeanor drug offense. Uh, But now he's going to be back this Sunday. His first game going to be against the Chiefs. Pro Football Focus rated him as the best rookie inside linebacker last year. Was also the fourth best inside linebacker in 2017. And that's all very impressive because he missed a lot of games last year. Six to be exact. He suffered an ankle injury in the regular season in the first quarter, in fact, uh, in week one. Uh, And then he returned in week seven, suffered a rib injury, and he was... Missing uh, out in action again, but managed to play the final eight games of the season. Potential is very high for Ruben Foster. Staying healthy is just a big concern so far from the early portion of his career, but was second on the team in tackles with 72, despite playing only 10 games and, and missing really the early part of both of the games where he got injured. He almost led the league, or excuse me, led the team in tackles because it was Dante Johnson who led with 77. So just five behind the team leader, and you only played 10 games. So that's the kind of potential Ruben Foster really has. Especially if he, if he plays in a 16-game state, he probably could have led the league in tackles as a rookie. Something I believe Luke Kuechly uh, did once, his rookie season. So given that he's returning to the fold for the 49ers, that is one thing to consider. Even though all of these statistics that we've read so far with the 49ers... Uh, that, that that could change a little bit with Ruben Foster, and I think that's going to be an interesting factor as well. But like I said, uh, yeah, I think even with this team, the Steelers are the best defensive team that the Chiefs have played. So I do think that this Chiefs offensive line will be able to hold its own and, and, and take care of the front seven of the 49ers. And Pat Mahomes and the rest of the guys, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and the rest of the supporting cast, they'll, they'll do their thing that they've done the first couple of weeks. I am curious to see if the Chiefs are going to use Kareem Hunt in this game on the ground because we haven't seen a lot of that from the reigning rushing champion. Uh, He's been very quiet to start things off in 2018, and I want to see the Chiefs utilize that more a little bit. And I know Patrick Mahomes has the hot hand. And look, everyone's heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And why would you shy away from the passing game? But as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I think that rushing game could really help the Chiefs defense, uh, especially with time of possession, something the Chiefs have lost in that battle in the first two games. Fortunately, it hasn't resulted in a loss in the in the, in the the team's record, but it could come at some point. Uh, we saw the Buccaneers and the Titans do that in week, or excuse me, in uh, 2016. Uh, the Buccaneers doing that in November and the Titans in December in the regular season that year. So you don't want a team to be able to, to use their strengths with their rushing attack and take advantage of a bad defense, which the 49ers could very well take advantage of and do in this football game. And hopefully this Chiefs offense can maybe help them out a little bit more. And I know I said that the defense has its own ways of finding uh, improvement, but uh, I think the offense could, could really help a little bit more. And that would really go a long way. That would lead to a more 
quiet game for Mahomes, but Mahomes, like I said, and I played the audio clip, no one cares for the shine or the attention. Everyone can have it on different games. Maybe in this game, you see Mahomes quiet. I don't think that ends up being the case, but you could see Kareem Hunt maybe have a bit of a better game this week to help out the offense a little bit more, especially when they least expect, everyone's expecting Mahomes to be pass heavy in this game, probably. You never expect that, so... If that's what the 49ers are expecting, maybe that would be the perfect time to surprise them and have Kareem Hunt go off for a big game. But I I think Kareem Hunt has a solid game. I don't know if it's going to be 100 yards rushing on the ground, but I still think the Chiefs will be very active with Mahomes because of the weak secondary that the 49ers have outside of Richard Sherman. Real quickly, looking at special teams for the 49ers, Robbie Gold might be the best kicker so far in the NFL. A perfect 6-for-6 no one has more uh, more made field goals than Gold has with his six. Longest made from 45 yards out. Bradley Pinion has the 11th most net average yards with 42.6. By the way, Dustin Colquitt leads the league in that category with 50.7. And second place doesn't even come close to D- Colquitt uh, doing what he does. And obviously making it a, a good uh, sign that uh, the Chiefs picked up his contract, and brought him back for a couple of more years. So definitely good to see. And by the way, Colquitt has played 208 games with the Chiefs. As they announced on social media, that is uh, the most a punter has played with one team. So very cool to see Dustin Colquitt. Uh, you see that longevity in Kansas City. As far as the return game goes, DJ Reed, the cornerback for the 49ers, he's tied Second most uh, for kick return yards with 159. Had a 90-yard return. Did not result in a touchdown. Uh, but he does have that. So uh, you, you've got two speedsters or several speedsters uh, in the uh, special teams return game. You've got DJ Reed. Obviously has one of the uh, highest uh, single uh, re- return yardage in, in one uh, kickoff return. Uh, with 90 yards. And then you've got Dante Pettis, who 28 punt return yards, tying 15th in the league, not high, but a very fast uh, player that you can never take lightly. And then you've got Kansas City's speedsters in Tyree Kill and DeAnthony Thomas, guys who are both in the top 10 in punt return yards in two weeks, which you don't often see two players on the same team be in the top 10 in the same category like that. So, uh, they're, they're, special teams could be very interesting this week. You've got the best kicker in the league and Robbie Gold. You've got Harrison Butker, who did some great things last year. Haven't seen much of him this year because the offense is is converting in the red zone. They're 6-for-6 six six in the red zone, as I mentioned. After being 28th last year, or 29th, I can't remember which one it was, the Chiefs are tied for first right now in a perfect 6-for-6, six six, which is very good to see. Uh, and, of course, DeAnthony Thomas can't forget, forget about him. He's having a great season as a punt returner, so... This is uh, this is going to be a very interesting game, and special teams could have a factor in this. And it's always hard to predict who when you see Tyreek Hill uh, scoring a touchdown on special teams. You just never know exactly when that'll happen against which special teams defense. But I can still see them having a big game and get, getting a lot of yards uh, on special teams to help out the offense, or even just take it to the house on their own and keeping that offense on the sidelines. And by the way, I didn't mention this. Turnovers from the 49ers. They've had four giveaways this year. Two takeaways. Uh, both of them fumble recoveries. No interceptions yet to start the season. Uh, 
But I think Kansas City will come away with a win in this one. Uh, I, I think the Chiefs offense will continue to do what it's done. I don't think it's going to be any different in this game. Uh, not expecting six touchdown passes. Could happen, could not. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to be that crazy. I think the Chiefs will have their first rushing touchdown of the season. That has to come at some point. And I think you, you, you're you going to get that in this game. I think Kareem Hunt will do some things on the ground. But overall, I do see the Chiefs defense Maybe allowing a lot of yards uh, and allowing some points, but I don't think they're going to let the 49ers light up the scoreboard like they've allowed with the Chargers and more so the Steelers. But I think we're going to see improvement in that. The Chiefs have allowed 65 points, the fourth most in the league. That needs to be reduced. I've got the Chiefs winning this one 38-17. Like I said, the offense, they're going to do their thing. Defense, it'll be some good, some bad. I think they're going to have their best game of the season, and you've got to start somewhere, and I think this would be a great place to start turning things around, start working on some of the the issues you've had, start tweaking things up a bit, and see some improvement in certain areas. So I think the Chiefs defense will get better. So I've got a 38-17 score prediction. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and my email, Farzine at Farzine Vesugian. As I said, be sure to join me on Facebook Live at halftime and after the game. Uh, We'll do that and we'll break down the game at halftime. I'll give you guys my thoughts. I'll read some of your comments and we'll do that as well after the game. Uh, We'll also have our post-game podcast. That'll be out Sunday night as well. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Here's a team before the season that I was not very high on, and I was unsure if they'd be able to replicate their success from last year, but the Jacksonville Jaguars are for real. When you pick up a win over the Patriots, you cannot be taken lightly, and everyone's going to start taking them more seriously now. Blake Bortles playing better and better. He really is, and he once had Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson. Even though they've gone, he's still playing very well, and this defense for the Jaguars, they're pretty damn good. They went under the radar last season, Made it to the AFC title game. And I think this Jaguars defense needs a lot more credit and needs a lot more praise because this is a defense that a lot of teams should try to try to approach. And listen, this is a copycat league. You're going to see a lot of teams trying out what the Jaguars are doing and seeing if they can implement that to their defense. Trust me on that one. One other player I wasn't so high on, and I said this last week, I don't think the Ryan Fitzpatrick... Success here is going to last very long because we saw it before. I went into detail with that. I'm not going to do it again. I'll say this. I still think he'll decline at some point. We saw it in 2011. He had a few great games to start off. Then he went down fast. But here's the thing with the NFL. Success in a short time period is good enough for a lot of people. And because of that, I don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need Jameis Winston anymore. And I saw something thrown out there by Benjamin Albright that maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers should go after Jameis Winston because if they're high on Ryan Fitzpatrick and if they like the start that he's had why wouldn't you trade Jameis Winston? You have to do it. Get something out of him. That'd be a great move at this point. Ryan Fitzpatrick gives you the best chance to win for the, for, for the time being and if, look, if I'm wrong and if the Bucks continue to win games with Fitz Hopefully they can see it coming early because they've got to trade Winston before the deadline. And I think this is the perfect time to do it. 
get something out of him and give him to a team that is desperate for a change at quarterback. Maybe not the Steelers right now, but they could use him in the future. And by the way, one other thing I want to talk about, Josh Gordon traded to the New England Patriots. I asked you guys if you would consider him as a Chief. I know the Chiefs are loaded at wide receiver, but man, uh, I know this guy's gone through a lot. And Cleveland, they felt like it was time to let him go. But Andy Reid's given a guy like Mike Vick and Tyreek Hill chances. And I really wanted to see Josh Gordon in Kansas City to see if he could bounce back and learn from Andy Reid. Because Andy Reid's helped a lot of guys out there. He really has. I was hoping to see it happen. I did mention on Facebook that I would not rule out a possibility of seeing Josh Gordon go to the Patriots. That is exactly what ended up happening. And Belichick's also known to help guys with a troubled pass. He's taking a lot of risks as well, and we've seen it pay off on the field. So, and look, Josh Gordon has a guy by the name of Tom Brady as his quarterback. So you know Gordon is going to have a lot of fun and, and do well and rebound during his time with New England. Let's go out of bounds. UFC fighter John Jones is allowed to compete. His suspension will be up uh, at the end of October. But listen, can we trust this guy? I mean, this is a guy who has been stripped of his title twice. He had, he pulled out of UFC 200, a milestone event, because uh, he, 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 he tested positive for a banned substance. I mean, this happened to him three times now. And look, the UFC is desperate for star power. Conor McGregor is going to be coming back soon, but they're going to need more than that. Sure, Brock Lester could also be back in the fold sometime in 2019, but they need a lot of people that they can get. They need all the fighters they can get. Nate Diaz is returning, but you can never rely on him. John Jones was once the face of the UFC. Undefeated, the only loss he had was because he was disqualified from a certain move he used. That's the only loss he's had. But it's just so hard to trust a guy who has constantly been suspended over and over and over again for issues outside of the octagon, uh, drug testing problems. I mean, you would just see this guy get into trouble every time he comes back from a suspension. And it's so hard to trust this guy at this point. What leads you to believe he'll stay out of trouble again? The UFC's had terrible luck with keeping cards intact. A lot of... of main events or co-main events canceled and I don't know if John Jones can help change your luck on that one I really don't speaking of luck I know a lot of you guys tried to test your luck when you guys put down a sports bet uh, in Vegas or whatnot of course as we all know uh, sports gambling legalized now outside of Vegas and the Las Vegas Golden Knights and I think this is a very easy team to get this trend started the Golden Knights and William Hill Sportsbook, they've agreed to a sponsorship, the first major U.S. team known to have a partnership with a, uh, a sportsbook. Uh, the Golden Knights have had sponsorships with many of the Vegas hotels, MGM, Aria, uh, The Win, uh, but none of them could promote their sportsbook at uh, the T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights play. With this sponsorship with William Hill, uh, the Golden Knights will plug them every time the Golden Knights make a, a some sort of a substitution line change. And, and as far as away game goes, they'll have watch parties for fans. That'll be sponsored by William Hill. Uh, and betters can also come in, and, and that'll obviously be encouraged. There's going to be plenty of in-game signage promoting the sportsbook. 
Uh, and also something interesting that I saw on ESPN, league-wide odds will be displayed on the scoreboard uh, either during the game or uh, during intermissions. So that's a very interesting aspect. We don't see that in sports, actually. Uh, and the Golden Knights will be the first team to display that kind of thing. A lot of people love seeing those betting odds. They love seeing those kinds of things. And I think fans are going to be more excited to see that. And given how popular sports betting is, you kind of wonder if we see that uh, spread out across the country. If we see that at places like Arrowhead or Kauffman Stadium or uh, other NFL teams, MLB teams, NBA teams, if they want to take advantage of that. Uh, so Golden Knights, obviously, is a very easy place. And, uh, of course, they've got the city. Uh, the, the popularity is high there because of what they did last season. So... That's gonna be that's gonna go very well for the Golden Knights, and we'll see if that trend continues outside of Las Vegas. Uh, I mentioned Kauffman Stadium, uh, and I've got, I mentioned this earlier uh, when we talked about the Chiefs, but the Kansas City Royals have lost their 100th game of the season. You know that uh, slogan they used, "Raised Royal." I've never been a big fan of that because let's be honest, how many people were truly raised royal? Who? who I mean, who really watched tons of Royals games growing up? Watching one of the worst teams in baseball? Because I know I didn't. Here's how I was raised Royal. Seeing this team consistently lose 100 games. I know it's been a while since they've last done that. But when I think of being raised Royal, I think of the bad years and the years where they lost 100 games on a consistent basis. Let's throw some penalty flags. Vontae Davis of the Bills retired at halftime against the Chargers. He put out a statement later after it happened, and I know he got criticized by a lot of people for this, especially by players on his uh, on his team. But here's the thing. I'm throwing a flag at people criticizing this. And I'll be honest, I was one of them when I first heard this. But when I heard his thought process and his reaction to all this, he mentioned his his body was just... He, he couldn't do it anymore. He really couldn't. He was done. Listen, man. When you're done, you're done. And I know a lot of people might respond to this and say, Hey, look. If a firefighter... And I know I'm, I'm comparing two completely different industries here. But if a firefighter is... At a house fire, I mean, as difficult as that can be... It's so easy in that moment to, uh, for someone to want to quit given the circumstances and the challenges they're dealing with. If a police officer's in a high-speed chase, I mean, it's, it'd be so easy to say, I want to quit there. If a doctor or a nurse, if they're in a in a room trying to save a patient, I mean, trying to save their life, for crying out loud, it's so easy to be under pressure and, and to want to just not even be in that situation. Again, those are more far more extreme uh, circumstances, so the comparisons are definitely far off there but it doesn't change the fact that this is someone who essentially quit during a game but in a sport like football where it is physically demanding and you're always being yelled at by our coaches to do this and do that and you know, make these kinds of adjustments I can understand if he couldn't do it no more we, we, we've seen this in MMA sometimes fighters turn around and they look at their coaches in the corner in between rounds and say they say hey look I'm done. I can't go out there for a third or fourth or fifth round. Uh, we, we've seen it before. And I think 
we've got to respect that and not the most ideal way to retire but if someone's done they're done and there's really nothing more to it man i have no idea what is going on with the pittsburgh steelers because it is just drama after drama after drama we saw last year with the National Anthem protesting and, and, and Villanueva, him coming out for the National Anthem. I mean, that was, that had that just had a negative spin to it for the team. Uh, oh boy, what else? I mean, the, Antonio Brown going off on the sidelines. And I remember Todd Haley trying to be the voice of reason at the time. I mean, th- that was just weird to see. And now this year with Le'Veon Bell holding out, uh, Antonio Brown skipping practice on Monday and tweeting to a former employee saying, let's see if they trade me. And now a really weird incident where uh, Stormy Daniels, I'm sure you all have heard what's been going on, her promoting her book and and the, the whole thing with Donald Trump. And, and somehow Ben Roethlisberger has been tied into all of that. Uh, I mean, Roethlisberger, supposedly all he did was walk Stormy Daniels back to her hotel room. And that alone has added a circus to, to Pittsburgh. It's just really the unnecessary drama at this point. Um... Man, I don't know what to say about the Steelers, but people are saying Mike Tomlin's losing this team. I don't think that not only will he lose this team, he could lose his job by the end of the year. It's that bad with the Steelers. This is a team that has very high standards, and if this continues, it may not all be his fault, but I think they're going to want a change of scenery and change head coaches, bring someone else in to to maybe get a, a better grasp with this football team, because as of right now, Mike Tomlin does not have it. I mentioned earlier, there is someone in the media who is displaying a double standard. I'm sure you all have heard about what's been going on with CBS and Les Moonves, who runs CBS. Uh, Moonves, uh, who, by the way, he has now been let go of CBS, or he stepped away, however you want to see it. Uh, And obviously, CBS is trying to work on, they have more women on the board uh, because of what's happened. Twelve women have come out against Les Moonves, uh, accusing him of sexual harassment. Uh, everyone knows who Julie Chen is. She hosts a couple of shows on CBS, and a big part of it is due to the fact that her husband's the boss. So she gets to do whatever she wants. I mean, she's essentially the queen of CBS. And in the past, when we've seen uh, sexual misconduct brought up, such as Bill Cosby and Harvey uh, Weinstein, Julie Chen was very critical of those guys. And in fact, she actually bashed Bill Cosby's wife for standing by him. Now... Because of the situation she's in, she has actually vocally said that she's standing behind her husband, yet she criticized others who stood behind their husbands when they were involved with te- sexual misconduct. What makes her husband any different? Because she even mentioned if Bill Cosby, if she was married to Bill Cosby, she would leave him. But now we've seen a double standard here. It doesn't work that way, folks. Just doesn't. And I think Julie Chen has caught herself in a hypocritical situation. Never anything you want to be in. No, not one bit. And uh, that's on her. I mean, it's easy to be the boss's daughter or the uh, uh, the boss's wife and just have all of these things. Uh, and not really suffer consequences for it when you criticize others for the same thing. Uh, I will say, I have to criticize uh, a UFC fighter, Joanna Jacek. Uh, so for those who don't know, the UFC went to Moscow. First time they ever went to Russia for an event. 
And sometimes uh, fighters that are not competing, they will still travel to help promote the event. And sometimes when they're not busy, they will talk to the media. Yoanio Jacek, who was at one point undefeated as the strawweight champion, she lost to a fighter named Rose Namajunas, uh, who knocked her out. Then he beat her, she beat her excuse me, in the rematch. And Yoana has had this weird attitude since then, just basically uh, saying whatever she wants, claiming she's still the best, even though she's not the champion anymore. She portrayed a very strange behavior. Uh, everyone knows about Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov, the big super fight that's coming up soon. And a lot of fighters are being asked, who do you think is going to win this fight? It's an exciting uh, fight, and a lot of fighters uh, are going to chime in about it. Joanna Jonjejic was asked about this. And she didn't want to give an answer. And she kind of explained why. But the reporter wanted to know, who, who does she think will win? Yoana didn't appreciate it, and she took it too far. Here's what happened. About the Habib against Connor? Yep. Just your opinion about it. Uh, I, I think definitely it's the fight of, uh, of, the, of, of this century. Uh, anything can happen, you know, two different styles. Uh, I like both of the fighters, and I don't like to predict the fight, so you are not going to hear the prediction from me. Okay, if you have about the behavior, about the, uh, you know what I mean. What do you want to insult Conor McGregor here? Okay. You want to insult him? Yeah. Okay, you want to insult him? Oh, come, come, come here, come here. She's what having the reporter Dima. stand Dima. in front insult of Conor cameras in and, front and of the camera. supposedly insult. I don't think uh, this think reporter knows what insult him. means. Keep in mind, these are Russian um, media come members. On. Be honest. Uh, yeah, he's a good fighter, but not more. He can speak more than other. But uh, I think that's the... Okay. Wasn't he a champion in two different weight classes? Is he only talking or he's doing stuff? No, he's doing not well. So why are you saying that he's talking more than doing somehow? But he's the part of his success because... Of course he is. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> we have uh, a lot are of Are you working for big, for big media or small media? What's your dream? Uh, What's your goal in your in your life? This all makes no sense. So I don't know what the point of any of this is. To be the best. In my, be the best. Yeah. Okay. In my, uh, you really train hard? Profession? Huh? You really train hard? Uh, not sure, because it's enough for me, uh, my oh, position right it's now. It's enough? Oh, that's yeah. nice. So all the best to you. Yeah, sure. But, uh, okay, which one will support in, in against... I told uh, you. I support both of them. They both are my colleagues, so no prediction for this fight. Great. You are Russian and you want to insult Conor McGregor here. You shouldn't do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Guys, you so last much. Qu- last question. Thank you. So it was example of stupid question. So thank you so much, guys. Okay, like I said, uh, this was, uh, as you can tell with the accents there, uh, that was a, uh, th- th- these were Russian media reporters here. I don't think when, when she said, oh, you want to insult Conor, I don't think the guy knew what insult meant, and she took it way too far. Um, I don't even listen. I have asked questions to coaches and players, and I've gotten this look back from them, like, "Hey, I don't appreciate you asking this tough question." But they've never put me or any other reporter that I've seen, uh, whether it's you know in person, at, at present at that press conference, or. Uh, whether it's you know what you see on TV, and I know in politics you see a very strange relationship between uh, politicians and reporters, but I've never seen this before. This was 
a completely different level, and quite honestly, I think it's a completely unprofessional look for Yoan. I get that she is friends with both fighters and didn't want to give a prediction, but the guy was criticizing Conor McGregor for his behavior outside the cage and not fighting for more than a year. The Floyd Mayweather fight was in the summer and hasn't had an MMA match in nearly two years. So I don't think this guy's criticism of Conor McGregor was was anything out of line. This is just an example of someone who's just 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 portraying bad behavior ever since she lost her title too. And because of one simple question, she she decides to take it too far. I think all she had to do was just repeat herself and say, "Hey, look, I'm not repeating it. I said it the first time. I'm not I'm not going to give you a prediction." And it probably would have ended right there. I don't think that was necessary to do to this reporter. I don't think any of that was necessary one bit. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Vasugin. Thank you all for downloading and listening to the podcast. Numbers are up crazy for the podcast hits as well as the social media interaction. Big thank you guys. And I've got to give big thanks to the Chiefs. I think their success has a big hand in that as well. But a big thanks to all of you guys. For all the interaction, all the downloads, uh, spreading the word for the podcast, please continue to do so. Subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Hit the share button and spread the word for the Chiefs on podcast. Tell your friends about it. Interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Vesugian. Like and follow me on Facebook. We'll do the Facebook Live for halftime and after the game. So join me for that during the game. I'll also be tweeting. So follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and my email Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Big thanks once again to all of you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. We'll do an episode Sunday night. So be on the lookout for that after we do the Facebook Live videos. And we'll be back next week once again on Thursday to preview the game Monday Night Football against the Broncos to the game starting to get more interesting and more fun on prime time so a lot to look forward to until then enjoy your weekend enjoy the game be safe if you're going to Arrowhead if you're traveling on the road talk to you guys later